According to the National Center for Drug Abuse, over 165 million Americans ages 12 and up are currently abusing drugs or alcohol. Of those 165 million Americans, there is a mom, dad, sister, brother, wife, husband, son, daughter, or grandparent praying and pleading that they would stop. Addiction is a subject most people don't like to talk about and is kept behind closed doors. But the Finding Hope podcast will bring light to the subject and give families that are living in shame, guilt, hopelessness, fear, worry, and anger, tools and education to find strength, peace, happiness, joy, and hope. Hello, I'm Amy LaRue, Finding Hope Coordinator for Hope is Alive Ministries and your host for this Finding Hope podcast. At Hope is Alive, our mission is to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. We do this through our intentional next level sober living homes and faith-based support groups for the loved ones of addicts called Finding Hope. Thank you for joining me today. Before we begin, I want to remind you that registration for our fourth annual Finding Hope Retreat is now open. And this year, we're not only having one, but two retreats. Our first one will be March 22nd through the 24th at Post Oak Lodge and Retreat in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the second one will be April 26th through the 28th at Trinity Center in Pine Knoll Shores, North Carolina. This year's theme is Be Still, based on the Bible verse, Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is all done in a relaxed atmosphere with keynote speakers, including our very own right here with us, uh, Christian author and speaker, Julie Bessler, as well as our very own Hope is Alive's co-CEO, Allison Lang. There will also be incredible breakout sessions, small group discussions, worship, and a time of self-care. You can register and learn more at fhretreat.com, but be sure to do it early because there is an early bird special. So like I said earlier, today we have a very special guest on the podcast, Miss Mrs. Julie Bussler. Thank you for coming today, Julie. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Did you make it through the cold and the ice storms and well, the crazy weather here in Oklahoma? We did. The flu hit our family. Oh, no. So with four kids, it felt like they were never going back to school. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I was talking... My kids have not had a full week of school since before Christmas. I'm like, when is this happening? <laughs> I know, it's a lot, but it's good. So tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself. Okay, so um, I'm Julie, and I'm married to Ryan. We've been married about 17 years. We have four kids. Mm-hmm. They're ages 16, 14, 12, and 8. Okay. So it's I'm realizing how fast it goes. Oh, yeah. I mean, whenever you have young kids, it can be exhausting, but now I'm seeing, oh, this is going so fast. Uh, but we live in Shawnee, Oklahoma, and okay. we um, go to Emmanuel Baptist Church there. And um, we were missionaries overseas for about six years, but now we've come back and we just are living life in Shawnee. Yeah. So we actually know each other all the way back from, we went to elementary school together. You're, you're in a grade above me and then high school together. So we have that connection from Derby, Kansas. And... 
you know, I remember you being on the dance team, Pantherette, correct? Yeah. <laughs> Pantherettes in forever. Yes. Pantherette. And I was a cheerleader. And so um, just going back, I remember ballet, like you're very involved, Nutcracker, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. Like that's when I think of Julie, that's who I would have pictured is this ballerina. Um, but, you know, life has taken us on a journey. And now you are very passionate about mental health. And the Lord has laid this on your heart to be a voice and to share it. Um, And so I'm not going to share your story. I want you to tell um, the listeners a little bit about why the Lord has laid this on your heart and the journey you've taken to get there. Okay, so um, I grew up in this home, and maybe you, because you saw me from the outside growing mm-hmm. up. Um, I mean, I was successful in ballet, and I was a, on the dance team and had good grades. I'm vice president of yeah. my class. Like, everything was very good on the outside. No one would have any idea. Um, and I didn't have any idea because there's no, like, physical abuse or anything. I didn't know what emotional neglect was. Mm. So I'm growing up in this family that we don't talk about emotions. We don't talk about feelings or grief. And, you know, I have a lot of compassion specifically for my dad because typically you can't give what you didn't have. Mm. And so, you know, there were limitations. I know he did the best he could, but there wasn't a lot of affection. So I'm growing up feeling very lonely inside. Mm. Um, Eventually my mom, when I'm eight, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so that, you know, to have a terminally ill mom, but then you're not really told what cancer is. Yeah, especially at eight years old. It's hard to wrap, understand that, yeah. And so you know something's wrong, but you don't really know what's wrong. Um, And they just kind of acted like they told me she had cancer and went on with life. So Mm -hmm. I'm so confused. So that's how I grow up. Um, Very lonely and just something's wrong. I don't know what it is. So I go to college at the University of Oklahoma. I go out of state and I come back after my freshman year and my mom passes away from cancer. And this may sound wild, but I truly was surprised because I didn't understand how sick she was all those years. And it was very traumatic. I mean, in trauma, I didn't know what that was. I had no concept of the word trauma. But it really changes the way that your brain functions. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm having like flashbacks. Like now I have vocabulary at the time. I think I'm just losing my mind. But I, I've been trained from a young age to, to hide it all. Um, and you mentioned ballet. That's mm-hmm. you are in ballet that only made it worse, which any kind mm-hmm. of sport can do this. You know, you're expected to perform. Yeah to make it look like everything's effortless. Like my toes would be bleeding, but I'm smiling and looking graceful on stage. So that only made it worse. So she dies and I just do what I know to do. I shove it down. I put on this mask and um, I go back to college. I'm in a sorority. I'm getting good grades. I, life is okay, but I start spiraling inside. Mm -hmm. And this is where I have a big heart for people who, have invisible depression. And that's just my terminology because a lot of times we think depression looks like you're laying in bed, you aren't showering, you aren't, I mean, you're crying all the time, which definitely can be the case. But for me, I, I was just trained to hide what I really felt. So I hid that like, Mm -hmm. like a master. So no one knew, not even my close friends. And I didn't know I could tell anyone. Because I didn't know what a counselor was. I didn't know anything like that. So I just, I continued on in college, and I became a a true follower of Christ in college. I mean, it's a a miraculous story. But even as a Christ follower now, I didn't know 
how to really have hope. Like how I could keep all of this trauma and depression and PTSD that I understand now. It's all it was all undiagnosed. I had no idea. I could keep it very separate. Um, I was not integrating really all of me with the Lord. So I'm just I graduate college. I meet my husband in college, and we get married right after college. But the story doesn't end there. So we we start having babies pretty soon after. And, you know, life is good. And he really did not know at all what I was dealing with inside. And I wasn't trying to be this deceptive wife who kept it from him. It's that I didn't know how to vocalize. I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't know how to say, hey, I'm starting to have these thoughts where maybe life's not worth living. Mm. And with suicidal thoughts... You know, it, it started out very passive. Like, if I didn't wake up in the morning, I would be totally fine. Wow. And so because that doesn't seem very dangerous, I just kind of kept ruminating and thinking about that. And those thoughts would end up just spiraling out of control decades later. But at the time, I'm having these thoughts, and I'm smiling. He, you know, we're living life, and it is good. Like, he's such a godly man, a great husband, but there's a part of me he doesn't know. Um. And so we're in our 20s trying to build this life together. We have two kids, and I'm pregnant with our third. And my dad dies by suicide. Mm. And that is the kind of death that it's hard to understand unless you've lost someone that way. Um, But I'm guessing most everyone listening to this has lost someone that way because according to the new statistics, in 2023, suicide reached the highest you know, number in the history of the United States. Wow. So that's a lot of people who are grieving loved ones who have died in that way. So he dies. Um, with my mom, it was tragic. It was traumatic. But you can wrap your head around someone getting cancer and dying. Mm-hmm. But when your loved one surprises you and takes their own life, this is complicated grief. This is traumatic grief. And again, I don't even know what that is. So I just shove it down and act like everything is okay. So you've lost both parents. Mm -hmm. You have these feelings you don't really know what to do with. So the best thing you know to do is shove it down and on the outside look, make it perceive like everything's okay. Mm -hmm. And that's what you were doing. I look just like this. I mean, and so that's what I did. And this is (laughs) the, the unusual part is at the same time, I mean, I am so traumatized. I am so depressed. I mean, I am just, PTSD is definitely a problem at this point. But um, at the same time, my husband and I, we are starting to feel this call to missions Mm -hmm. because we're realizing that we are grieving my dad. I mean, I'm not really grieving, but we are trying to process this with hope in Christ. I'm pretty much a baby believer. I haven't really started studying scripture super deeply, um, but I do love him. I do have hope for, you know, eternity. He has, I'm his daughter, God's daughter. So we start to see, oh my goodness, there's a whole world that doesn't know the name of Jesus and they are living and dying without hope. And so it's pretty miraculous because this is who God is. Mm-hmm. He's the redeemer. Yeah. And so for him to take something as tragic as my dad's death, and he took that and really spurred us on to go share life overseas. And wow. so we did. I mean, we're I think I was about 30 and we got rid of all of our possessions. We were convinced that we were going to move overseas to Turkey and never come back. Like this okay. is what we're going to do. Yeah. I remember following you because you had a blog, right? (laughs) I did. Like I remember reading the blog and following your journey and just, 
I remember reading it from an outside perspective. I'm like, wow, look at this amazing stuff. I remember reading about you guys learning how to speak and your kids and like just remember reading all of that. So you guys have been called to this mission field and you're going overseas, but you still have all these feelings that you PTSD you've been talking about, you don't know what to do with them, right? You're going to go overseas. You're going to start this mission field, God's work, spreading the good news over there. What happens as you do that? Okay, so this is where, you know, people unknowingly, they put you on a pedestal. And Mm -hmm. I think anyone in leadership or who's prominent maybe in your community Mm -hmm. or at work, um, in ministry, for us it was being a missionary, um, they can put you on this pedestal where you're almost above suffering. Mm. So that only made it worse. I mean, you'd come back on like a trip home and you'd be speaking at churches and they're just like, tell us what God's doing. And, you know, they're they're giving you offerings. And it's so, I mean, because God truly was moving in miraculous ways and we've learned the language and there is a fruitful ministry, but that made it so much worse worse to even think about being honest with what I'm feeling. So this is our life and our kids, you know, we have our fourth baby overseas. So we go overseas with three. They're very, they're like one, three, and five. Oh, wow. And we have <laughs> Abel uh, in Germany. But this is home to our kids and we, we do love life there. But my thoughts are out of control because I really don't know how to take those thoughts captive. I have mm-hmm. no idea how to practically apply that. I have gotten no help in processing trauma things. I didn't know what a trigger was, but things are triggering me all the time. I might be at the grocery store and see something that my dad liked to eat. And suddenly I'm in this fight or flight, like a visceral reaction, but I don't know that what that is. So I might be snappy at my kids. And then I'm like, what is wrong with me? I'm this, this woman who loves Jesus. I'm sharing about him with people and why do I not have self-control? I don't know what trauma is, and I'm greatly affected by it, really, at all times. So I'm just spiraling into deeper and deeper into the, this despair. And then eventually, um, this is in 2018. Okay. So it has, it's been about five years since it was the very end of 2018. My mother-in-law comes to visit us in Turkey, which we were super excited oh, about. Oh, I bet. Seeing somebody from, you know, that you know and love and visiting yes. you guys. Yeah. And it's so foreign to tell her about our life in Turkey because everything's very different. It's a beautiful country, but it's very different than the United States. Um, she's bringing, like, you know, American things, like Pop-Tarts and... <laughs> Man, like my kids would fight over Cheetos. You'd find them like hoarding Cheetos. Like that is so unhealthy, but they're so excited or vanilla. Like there's so many fun things. So I remember watching them. It was such a strange experience and they're so excited. Like there's so much joy. And I remember thinking, I feel nothing inside. This just feels dead. It feels Mm. like numb. And now I realize that that can be a symptom of trauma. But at the time I'm like, there's something like, I'm broken. There's mm-hmm. something wrong with me. And I'm sitting there smiling and just interacting with them. And they have no idea. And that's when this intrusive thought popped in my mind. And at the time, I really don't think that you have control over this initial thought. But I've learned now that you have control with what you do with the thought. But mm-hmm. it just came unannounced. And it was, you know, now's a good time to take my life because my mother-in-law's here and she can help get everyone home, including me, um, my body. And so like hearing that, it's, it's hard to tell that now because that is so not who I am. That would have been the biggest mistake of my life. Like I can't even fathom if I had followed through with that. But at the time I am so depressed and my mind is just 
overtaken with suicidal ideation that that seemed like a good plan. And that's the thing with depression is it warps reality. So you hear that and it's like, that is absolutely irrational. I mean, that's a permanent solution to, we can always get help. There's Mm -hmm. always things that we can do when there's a problem. But um, to me at the time, that seemed like a good plan. And really now, now as I'm just deeply studying scripture, there's a scripture in Isaiah where he says, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And this is my paraphrase, but (laughs) put light for darkness and darkness for light. And that's what I was doing. I was calling something that is evil good. Um, So I was like this, I'm going to do this. Like life is, there's no meaning in my life. I'm just in so much pain. And so I, you know, make this plan. I have a plan. And so that's why it's so important the minute that you start having these thoughts that, there is just, it's never going to get better. It's, it's time to get help because these thoughts snowballed over decades. And so they finally went from just these passive thoughts into plans. So praise the Lord, I didn't do it. I'm here with you. Yeah. It's a miracle. I did not do it. But then I feel like, oh, I'm so ashamed. Like I can't even do that right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did finally tell a friend. And this was the first time I really took well, I didn't take the mask off. I peeked out from behind the mask because I just didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't know how to even tell someone. But I think that she was safe enough to go to because she had been honest with me about different trauma that she had been through, and yet she loves Jesus. Wow. And so I'm finally seeing, like, okay, maybe you can struggle with mental health struggles and love Jesus and love the Word. Like, is there a place for both of those? And, and I'm watching her walk in this wholeness in Christ. And so she suddenly was a real person. Because other people in ministry mm-hmm. can just look perfect. And that is so unattainable. Especially in this world where there's Instagram and TikTok. Yeah. And there's fil- some of these filters are scary. <laughs> like, they're so realistic. And that is the world we live in. It's the highlight reel. But I was seeing a real person, and so that made her safe. That actually increased her ministry to help me. And so I told her enough where she said, Julie, I think it's time that you tell your husband. So Ryan still didn't know at this no, point? No, he had wow. no idea. I mean, I think he knew that I was I, – I would vocalize, like, I just feel, like, sad a lot. Like, I would give little hints. Yeah. But he hadn't learned what to look for. I mean, now he's, like – Super educated. He could be like a therapist, probably. I mean, but he didn't know at the yeah. time because, I mean, why would he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what happened? I mean, did you get the help, obviously, there? And then... Yeah, so um, this is where the story gets kind of kind of good. I mean, not, but... Okay, so I tell him enough where he realizes that, okay, she needs help. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know what a psychiatrist is. I mean, this is really for a lot And you're of, overseas. And, yes, I'm in Turkey, which is about 99.9% Muslim. That's what they say. I mean, it is. I'm, a, I'm in the minority as a, as a Christian. So I'm thinking, what? Like, where are we going to find help? And seriously, like, I don't know, for lack of better words, I'm thinking psychiatrists are for crazy people. Oh, yeah. Not yeah. me. Not a mother of four. Not a, someone in ministry. Not someone who loves Jesus. So I'm like, I'm not going to a psychiatrist. I have no idea what one is. Uh, you see these things, like these depictions on TV of like mm-hmm. straight jackets. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that's Hollywood. So I'm thinking, I don't want to go. But I'm truly so desperate that I'm, and I'm just defeated. So I'm like, fine, whatever, I'll go. And I'm so glad that he was proactive because I was so sick that I, I honestly could not help myself. I needed someone to step in and help me. So he did. 
And I walked into the doctor's office, and I mean, I'm so ashamed. Mm -hmm. And I don't really understand shame. I mean, the the enemy is just heaping that on me, and I'm like, I am such a failure. I mean, just the self-talk is so negative. So we go in, and they hand me a clipboard, and, you know, they want you to circle your symptoms. It's very common. So the first symptom is, do you feel worthless? And I'm like, I mean, I freeze. I'm like in this dilemma. If I say yes, how will I share Jesus with the nurses and this doctor who I'm assuming is Muslim? But if I say yes and I lie, uh, no, if I say, it's a tongue twister. If I lie and I say that I don't feel worthless, then, I mean, I don't think I'm going to survive. So, I, I mean, I'm about to put that mask back on, this missionary mask. And so this, these thoughts are still going around in your head. Oh, like, yeah. what am I going to do with, the, like, you know? It's like almost thinking, you know, on shows, like, which side? <laughs> Two little yeah. angels talking to each other. Yes. Yeah. Like, am I honest or not? Um, and I'm more focused on really what I'm going to do for God than who I am in Christ and nurturing mm. that. And, and God doesn't, he uses us. Praise the Lord. It's awesome to partner with the Lord, but he doesn't need us. I mean, what he wants is our hearts. Yeah. And out of that come our, our actions to yeah. love others. So I'm honest. Praise the Lord, I'm honest. And I just circle them all. Then I sit down, and I'm like, oh, man, like, I'm the worst missionary. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just awful is what I'm thinking. And I look around the room, and I remember seeing other women, Turkish women, wait, because I'm the only foreigner in this room. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, I am just as broken as these people I came to reach. Mm-hmm. And I I really think that God needed to humble me in that moment because I didn't realize it, but I really think I've got the answers. I can't struggle. If I have a perfect life, then they will want to know my God. But that's not even, and that's that's ridiculous because that is so unapproachable. So I had to realize, oh, we are all broken. We're all human. I don't, it doesn't matter if you are a pastor or you're, you know, addicted to drugs or, you are a CEO, if you're famous or if you live on the streets. We are human. We have minds that can get sick. There are addictions. There are mental health struggles. We all need help at times. So that really was a turning point in me accepting help. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, you get your help. You've gotten, went to the hospital, you know. What are some of the tools? So I feel like, you know, we I work with a lot of people who love those in addiction. And I feel like you talk about the masking and I heard you speak at our church and I was like, we talk about that too. We talk, you talked about the thoughts. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like how we just need to captivate those thoughts. And when we love someone, you know, on my side, when I love someone that's struggling, it's so easy to put that mask up. And you talked about social media and I actually speak about it and I have two pictures I show. One is a picture where my husband is probably drunk in it, but I posted it all over social media. I was masking in that, making sure, pretending like everyone thinks we're okay, because I was filled with that shame. You know, I, we would go to church even, put up that mask. They won't understand what's going on. No one will understand. Going to family events, all of that. And it's so easy for us to put up that mask, especially, you know, no matter what we're doing, mission field, you know, every day. You know, um, and I'm so glad you talk so openly about it. Thank you so much for sharing. I know that isn't easy to open up those old wounds. But I also, and for my personal, this this is for me, I can't speak for you, it's also healing. 
um, in that God has called us to share and he wants us to use that so that others can say, I'm going through it. Julie got, has overcome it. She's continuing to work every day for this. And so as loved ones, we put up our mask. We want everyone to think we're okay. And, you know, it's easy to see when our loved ones are in the destruction of their addiction. They're putting up a mask too. And we talk about this so much at Hope is Alive, the mask and how we have to take off the mask. And when we have the mask, it leads our loved ones to this substance, abusing substances, where like for us as loved ones, a lot of it comes out as like codependency mm-hmm. or it might even come out as shopping or, you know, all those things. Um, but we're not really working on the root yeah. of the problem. And I hear all the time, like last night I had a meeting at my church and you can just see it when people walk in because they're in that safe room that they can finally, and we say it at Finding Hope and Hope is Alive, you got to feel to heal. You've got to feel those emotions and it's okay because you're talking about those thoughts. And, um, you know, I liked your, what you said that when you have that thought, we need to reach out for help. Like, what is that? You know? Um, and that's why I asked you to be a part of our retreat and to be on this podcast, because I think there's so much practical things we can learn about how to captivate those thoughts, how to be still in his word, be still in him every day and to say, yes, I'm dealing with anxiety. Yes, I'm dealing with depression. It might not look like depression, Mm -hmm. but I'm dealing with it now. You know, loving someone, it's just hard. We just go through all that. So how would you, how did you start to take off that mask and how would you say to start captivating those thoughts? Okay, so after the psychiatrist saw how, you know, scared, how I was just, it was dangerous. Mm -hmm. She hospitalizes me in Turkey in a psychiatric hospital, which, I mean, that's a whole thing. It's in my book. I really detail that in my book that I wrote, but I go home and I'm re-hospitalized. So I didn't want anyone to know. Really, I don't know if I had the strength to take that mask off. God ripped it off, but praise the Lord, because, (laughs) because I think I was just still wanting to hold on to that, but you know, there came a point where I was just this depression, all of it just took over my life. So it was pretty obvious something was wrong. Um, and so eventually I started seeing a therapist. And I'm, I mean, mm. I'm a big proponent if it's medication, if that's necessary, or even like a nutritionist or you know, vitamins, whatever it is, therapy, all of these things are good gifts. Jesus is always the hope. Like medication, while it may stabilize your brain, it does not produce fruit. Like joy is a fruit of the spirit. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that they can go hand in hand. My therapist was the one who had to really help me learn to apply the scripture that says, take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. So I had to learn that I don't even know the difference between a thought and a feeling. Okay. And that sounds so silly. At first I was like, whatever. Yes, I do. But I didn't. And so this therapist, he said that a thought is usually a string of words where a feeling is like one word. So, like, a feeling would be sad or lonely, happy, excited, rage, but a thought would be like, you know, no one loves me. But here's where it gets tricky. I would think things like, I feel like no one loves me. Well, the word feel is in that thought, so I would think it's a feeling, you know, I'm not Mm going to take that captive. The Bible says take your thoughts captive. So he had to say, no, actually the feeling is maybe sad, the thought mm. is, nobody loves me. So once I got to like distinguish, this is a thought, this is a feeling. Well, I can sit in a feeling. This feeling, it will eventually pass. Feelings can be really good. They're not in control. 
my faith is not fueled by feelings. Well, then I take the thought and I would hold that up to scripture. Well, there's so many different verses about how God loves me. Mm-hmm. So then you preach this truth to yourself and eventually, I mean, the spirit renews our mind. That's how we're transformed. So that, that's one way. I had to, a therapist taught me that and that, that enhanced my spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Another thing is that she had to teach me that's the big word, what a cognitive distortion is. And that sounds super therapy-ish, but let me just kind of break that down. It's really a negative thought pattern. And there's, I don't know, 10, 15 of them. You can Google them. But this is different negative thought patterns that were just my thoughts to be stuck in a loop. They're irrational. So like one would be all or nothing thinking. So that would look like using always and never. So a big, I'm, I'm feeling despair. I'm feeling like I would say to myself, it's always going to feel this way. It's never going to get better. Like you can't ever get out of it. No, and that's very, I mean, that is despair. Mm -hmm. There's no hope. And whenever there's, when there's a loss of hope, that's when it gets dangerous. And for me, that would be towards suicidal thoughts. So I had to learn to recognize this negative thought pattern. So she had to teach me what that was. And then in our sessions, she would, she would point it out to me. There's, there's multiples. Like there's one where like labeling, Mm -hmm. I would label myself, I'm a burden, I'm a failure at ministry. There's no place for me. And so as I'm just labeling myself failure, 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 I'm believing that. I'm not taking that captive. And so I had to learn to recognize these thought patterns. So once I learned, it took, I mean, it's practice. It took a while. But eventually I would say, oh, it's never going to get better. Oh, there it is. Well, then if it's truly never going to get better, that is completely disregarding the gospel. Because Jesus, I mean, he died. He gave us a new hope, a new future. And so to say it's never going to get better, that is not, if you believe in the gospel, then that that doesn't go together. So now I've learned to say, well, I may struggle with depression until the day I die. I believe Jesus can heal me right now, but right now it's been more of a thorn in my flesh that I do battle. And I, every day, and I, I seek him, but someday... I will pass away in God's timing, and he will wipe away that last tear. There will be no more depression, yeah. no more addiction, no more sadness. And so I can't say it will always feel this way. So there, I've had to learn these negative thought patterns. I am in Scripture every day. That is what keeps me, I mean, alive and transformed and renewed. So as I, as I recognize them, I hold them up to Scripture to what? That is our truth. That, yeah. is, that never changes. And if those don't match... Well, then I'm going to tell myself that truth until I believe it. Yeah, like daily affirmations mm-hmm. they talk about. And we've, I don't know if you've done a lot with rewiring of the brain, mm-hmm. if you've studied that. And we have an amazing speaker that has talked about that. And doing that, like speaking those truths, smiling, watching those funny videos, like telling out loud, not just the thought, you know, you have the thought, now you're going to replace it with a truth, with that Bible verse. What does God say? And last year, our retreat was rooted in truth. Like, how do we stay rooted in God's truth and what he's saying? And so that's what, you know, I really think is important. Um, I feel like when our loved ones even will tell us these lies from the enemy, like you're not a good enough mom, you're not a good enough wife. If you would have done this, I wouldn't be drinking or using the pills or, you know, and you know, that's not true. But when you hear it over and over, and then the thoughts, the sleepless nights, when you're not sleeping, you're not taking care of, you know, you even talked about getting a nutritionist, and you're not taking care of yourself. That's when thoughts can, and then before long, you start to believe it. And then I think, you know, you start to spiral down into that path of, like, do I even need to be here? Do I need, what would it be like? Um, I mean, I've talked to Finding Hope members where I said, you need to call 911 right now and get help. Like, 
this isn't, I'm not a paid therapist. I'm not a therapist. I don't have any letters behind my name. You need more help than I can provide. Like go get that help right now. And I think, I think we need to be more open, you know, especially in our churches and small groups talking about this, you know, um, breaking down that shame. Um, I would just, I started journaling these lessons. I had no intention of ever being an author or a speaker. I'm still not going to tell anyone. Like it took a while for me to tell people. So for about a year, I just, I read the Bible chronologically. Mm -hmm. I'm journaling. Um, I'm really coming back to life. Well, really to life for the first time, like never before. There's so much hope. I mean, and, and Jesus is our hope. He's alive. And so our hope is alive. And so in 2020, COVID hits, mm -hmm. everything shuts down. So I've just joined, and this is small town Oklahoma. I joined at our church, the Women's Ministry Planning okay. Committee. It's my first time kind of dabbling in any kind of ministry whatsoever. And we're sitting there thinking, well, how can we still do our annual event? Mm -hmm. And these ladies don't even know, like a few do, what I've been through, like why we're home. And they're talking about having three different ladies tell in different life stages tell a story of hope. And I'm sitting there, and my heart is beating out of my chest, and I know I'm supposed to be one of those one of those people. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. Like, to God. I'm like, I am not doing it. I have that mask on. I'm smiling. I'm like, I'm not doing it, God. And eventually, I lean over to this other lady, and it's very, like, it was not eloquent. And I said something like, should I tell my story of being a psych ward? And she looked at me, and she's like, yeah, I think you should. And that moment, if she would have said, oh, honey, we don't talk about that in church, I would have just shut my mouth and never mm. said anything else. But she said that, and so I, I volunteered, and I thought it was a one-time thing. I share my story um, online for this event, and one by one, people just start messaging me, like, me too. Like, I also wow. struggle. Me too. And it started to create this, like, atmosphere of vulnerability um, within my life. And, and then I thought, okay, maybe there is purpose in this pain. And when we see purpose in our pain, I mean, there's nothing that compares to that. Mm -hmm. So then I thought, well, I think God showed me, I have this whole journal full of lessons. These could be chapters. And so I wrote those into chapters and, and God has built this ministry that I never saw coming. And yeah. it's difficult. I mean, it's hard to tell your story and to be open, but when you start to see people say me too, and choose life because wow. you've said, okay, I'll be awkward. I'll be uncomfortable in telling the story if it means that you choose to live. Uh, it's worth it. And so he's built this ministry, and I, I love it. I travel, and I speak, and share my story, and I share just really the overflow of what God continues to teach me. Well, thank you for that. And um, you guys, it's an incredible book. I, I've read, I actually read it at the lake two years ago. <laughs> I guess I should say that the chapter, I mean, the chap not the chapter, the, but, the title, yeah. it's called Joyful Sorrow, yeah. Breaking Through the Darkness of Mental Illness. And it's on Amazon and Audible and all the places. Yeah. So we'll make sure we get it linked and your website linked um, in our show notes. So, but I like to leave our listeners with a challenge. And I think there's been a lot and, you know, maybe it's open made you feel even, you know, like, what do I do with this now? Like I'm hurting. I have this mask off. So I would challenge you today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait for two hours from today, right now. Put down this audio, put down this podcast, pause it, whatever you need to do and reach out to somebody. If you need help today, start to take that mask off. Who do you, who's that safe person you can go to? Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a loved one. Reach out to me. I'd love to be there to support you if I can, or find the resources for you. Um, so 
if you have that mask off, that's my challenge is to start to take it off and start to share what's going on. Get plugged into a Finding Hope meeting that you can have a safe place to do it, confidential, free meetings, a safe place. And also, I would just encourage you to, as these thoughts come into your mind, start each morning, write down the truths. I'm a child of God. God loves me. He created me. And write down these truths. Maybe you don't believe it yet, but start speaking those to yourself every day. And when those thoughts become captive, what's that Bible verse you can cling to? What are those thoughts? Any last words, Julie? Just that we're not meant to do life alone. And my life has only gotten better in being honest. Mm -hmm. And it it was painful in the beginning, and it was awkward and hard. But that has increased. Like, there's so much joy. There's so many resources. There's so much hope. And I used to think that there was no hope, no joy. And so, I mean, I, I urge them to also be honest. It's worth it. Yeah. And just because you're a Christian. You were, that's why Jesus died. You talked about that on the cross. Like we cling to him um, because of what he did for us. So thank you guys. Thank you, Julie, for joining us. Um, If you want to hear more from Julie or meet her in person, be sure to register for our retreat in Tulsa, Oklahoma um, at findingfhretreat.com. But also to get plugged into Finding Hope, you can go to findinghope.today. We'd love for you to give us a five-star review, share this on social media, and subscribe to our podcast for the next hope-filled episode. Thanks again for joining me, Amy LaRue, for this episode of Finding Hope. And remember... You are not alone. It's not your fault. And there is hope. This episode of the Finding Hope podcast was brought to you by Hope is Alive Ministries. To learn more about Hope is Alive, visit our website at hopeisalive.net. If you are in need of immediate assistance, don't wait. Call us now at 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's one 844 Three Hope Now. To find out more about Finding Hope and how you can get involved in a meeting close to you, visit findinghope.today.